welcome back to Geeks and Grounds, a monthly game club where we play games and brew good conversation together. I'm your host, Jenny Windham. <laughs> and I'm Joel Thomas. And today we're going to be doing our full spoiler cast, full recap and feelings and just all the things Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood. So I'm I'm really excited because last week when we got talking about some of the divergences in our path, <laughs> they were pretty substantial. Yeah. Oh, boy. And, I, you know, I'm eager. I, I understand you've played through your second run through. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of a lot of threads to weave together in the great tapestry that is the magic wheel bus. <laughs> I don't know. We almost got there. We got there. It was real close. <laughs> yeah, it was close enough. Um, for folks who are new to the podcast, welcome. We hope you enjoy your time here with us uh, in our little digital podcast cafe. Um, if you haven't signed up yet at geeksandgrounds.com, that's where you can get the newsletter and everything you need to participate in our sort of monthly playthroughs together and discussions together. Uh, and if you're a returning member of Geeks and Grounds, welcome back. We're so happy to have you here. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the show, please do find us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us and put in a rating, just click on the little five star. I'm going to say five star because that's what we're aiming for. And then on YouTube or any other platform engaging with us definitely helps because we want more people to participate and like get this in their lives and play intentionally and talk about what vengeful witchy decisions they made in the game (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) or you know really accepting calm decisions you made in the game if that's your vibe (laughs) sure whatever you want to do (laughs) whatever floats your cosmic boat um but before we get into the monthly brew what we like to do is take a pit stop at the pastry case uh pastry case wow wow (laughs) um This is just our grab bag of topics, what we've been up to besides playing games, because we are human beings who are multifaceted. I have a sneeze also like right on the tip of my nose. And now that I've talked about it, it's going away. But woof. Oh, you know that feeling when you're just just like right there. You just got to you got to think of pig's feet. That's uh, that's the that's the trick I was always told. It's like just distracting enough that when you think about little pigs, little toesies, it can disarm I mean, your sneezing senses i don't want to sneeze anymore so that must have worked <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah what uh what have you been up to joel what have you been playing reading watching i'm still y'all i'm still so so deep in the Baldur's gate trench <laughs> i just got to act two and i think i've put like a hundred plus hours into this game i'm just wow really savoring every moment it is just scratching so many itches uh so yeah really enjoying that i'm curious Um, what like how are you going through Baldur's gate like what kind of character are you playing mm, as or even how has your character evolved as you played so i play a character named cirrus cloud and Mm -hmm. i built essentially the exact uh character that i play in my like real life campaign that i've been using for like a few years now Mm -hmm. so i rebuilt that character i'm making all the same decisions and what's been really fun is Baldur's gate makes the DD experience so simple uh that i get to experiment with things that would take me like you know, weeks of sessions to try and do in my in-person games I can do in like an hour. So it's been really fun getting to see this character that like 
I'm kind of playing in my mind, at least making decisions that character would make. And it's just, I don't know. It's like, it adds another fun dimension to the game. That's so cool. Yeah. I have to admit I've, um, fallen off of Baldur's Gate a little bit, not because I dislike it, but I think there's just too many other games and things sort of capturing my attention. And for me, Baldur's Gate took a lot of mental energy in terms of like plant. Like I felt like I had to like really devote full attention to it. Whereas Mm. um, right now I'm playing some games that are much less sort of intense in that way. (laughs) I finally started rom- got got to the point where I could romance a couple characters in the game. Ooh. I caused some drama in the party, nice. some jealousy at work right now. It's oh, like yes. uh all yeah, all the drama that we want, which, you know, that's perfect for today. <laughs> oh my gosh. And honestly, that's the reason I'm probably going to go back to Baldur's Gate is because I know of the the social like tensions that can come up, um, the group dynamics at play. And so I'm very excited to eventually go back. I keep saying like, oh, when it's winter break and I have all this time <laughs> off, I'm going to play every single game in my backlog and finish it all. And uh I'm 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 gonna I'll, I'll do it eventually, you know. Yeah, but I'm hoping days, Baldur's we'll Gate there. is one of the priorities of of the bunch. Yes. And then, you know, the other things I I there are two shows that I've gotten into over the last week that I'm really enjoying so far. Um, mm-hmm. The Other Black Girl, which is on Hulu mm-hmm. based off of the book of the same name. I read the book last year, loved it. It's got like some spooky, like um, like kind of Jordan Peele-esque in that like kind of blends some spooky stuff with like social commentary, like mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, and uh, Discovery of Witches, which is a few years old, okay. but just hit HBO Max. And I it's like it is like that quintessential uh, TV 14 rated Twilight ripoff that like oh, you just nice. like it's just I didn't know what to walk into tone wise. And I was like, wow, they sure are playing a lot of like it's why are we listening to muse while we are listening oh it's twilight and it's like i'd take myself back in time and remember that energy that's amazing yeah and i haven't so as someone who's read the books and is now watching the shows like how do you think they stack do you feel like it's worth Mm -hmm. maybe going into the books first or i would say this like with the other black girl um the story is so compelling but the pacing of the book is a little slow versus mm. the show is like you are in it. Episode one, the opening scene, like it is just like immediately gripping. So I would recommend at least watching the TV show maybe first before going into the book. And I haven't read Discovery of Witches. I'm just uh, tacitly oh, aware of it. So okay. uh, it, it'll be my first experience there. Uh, what are you getting into over there right now? Um, Not... A ton, to be honest. Um, <laughs> with the with the game launch and everything, I've kind of been at the end of the day, just like looking for just sort of things that I don't have to focus my mind in on. And a lot of it is just surfing TikTok and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I have been playing though a lot of Fay Farm, which recently launched launched like two weeks ago at this point, I think two or three weeks. And if folks enjoy like the cozy farming life sim meets fantasy world vibes, I would highly encourage you take a look at it, see if it maybe is something up your alley. Um, it's 
a super polished game uh, and it's really, really cute. I think the thing that I love that what it's done is taken a lot of mechanics from farming sims that we know and love, like uh, Harvest Moon, Stardew Valley, like Rune Factory even a little bit, and polished and did some amazing quality of life changes. Like you can mm. use magic to like very quickly use your tools in more powerful ways than it takes in other games. And they have elements like you don't have to switch your tools out every time you want to do a different task. It just like auto picks the tool Thank that you, you need. Oh my gosh. Like things that save milliseconds, but in the long scheme of things just like becomes just so frictionless when you play. And I love it so much. Oh, I will incredible. say I'm, I've been, I don't know if I'm like doing it wrong or I'm just not deep enough in the game, but the fest the lack of festivals and the social sim aspect seems a little bit shallow to me. And so I'm a little bit like really holding out hope that it deepens because I love like when you talk to villagers, if they have different things to say. Um, but some of the villagers, I'm in summer now of my first year, and the villagers are saying some of the same things they were saying to me like spring one uh no. <laughs> about like me arriving to the city and like or to the town and how they love mussels on the beach and stuff and so i'm like i'd love a little more depth to this i feel like mm. i'm not really getting anything out of the social aspect but the rest of the game is so polished i almost almost don't care <laughs> amazing yeah oh we love to hear it. are you like a muscly character why are they talking about no like on the, the food beach? like sh the the shellfish oh. muscle <laughs> I thought we were talking about, okay. Geez. I like going to Muscle Beach and watching all the folks flex, you know? That's exactly <laughs> what I was envisioning. And I was like, sounds like a fun social thing to me. I don't know. Yeah, you're like, what are you talking about? No depth in the social mechanics. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Classic and then, <laughs> honestly, someone needs to make a game with that. Well, actually, so Shameless self Lug Spirit Swap has a beach with a very muscly character on it. Um, for folks who hey. don't know, I'm working on a game called Spirit Swap, uh, and we have we have one character who definitely loves to flex on the beach. So <laughs> you're Love looking it. for that. Um, and then Moonstone Islands, another game kind of in the same vein where it's like cozy, there's farming elements, there's decorating elements, social sim elements. Um, and then it's got a tiny, tiny sprinkle of like Pokemon or other creature capturing games. Um, oh. I'm super early in, so I have nothing really critical to say about it or like uh, critical in the sense of like, I, I don't know the game quite yet so i've enjoyed my time but i'm basically in the tutorial still <laughs> and then um i'm still a one piece stand this week uh that has not faded hey. I, I can't watch through of one piece it was like i put it on the tv I, I didn't have to think too hard uh and i'm also reading the manga now so you're you're down bad you've got it you've got it bad yeah i want to be the king of the pirates so that is that is my new goal <laughs> Uh, what what character are you finding like the most like interesting, compelling? Who's your who's your fave? You know, I I in the live action, I think Nami for me was personally a favorite. Oh, I think yeah, she's, she's just such an interesting character. And for anyone who's watched the show, or even if you haven't, what's interesting is I think her character arc is the most fleshed out, and it's. Totally. It becomes a lot a season about her story in a lot of ways. Um, I imagine in subsequent seasons we'll probably have arcs that focus in on the other characters. But yeah. 
in the manga, it's been quite interesting because the characters, they do characterize them a little bit differently. So I'm not quite sure who's my favorite in the manga yet because um, I think just due to the nature of the medium, they're a lot more like brash and maybe a little bit more um, like, how do I put it? Like Luffy is like a little bit more rude in some ways or blunt in some ways in the comics than he was in the show, the live action. Um, Interesting. Yeah, rude is maybe not the right word. More blunt. Like there are more lines of him just being like super like – upfront with some of what he says and I was like oh it's it's making him feel very different when I'm reading this and it's not bad but it took me a little bit to get used to that is fascinating because I remember thinking when I was watching the live action that like Luffy's character has almost like a fun naivete about the world that like this thing is true and therefore it is true and I just Mm -hmm. said the thing and it is now true and as opposed to like any sort of like nuance he doesn't seem cynical or jaded at all and so it's interesting. I'm are you, I'm wondering if like the truth statements are just like maybe a little harsher or like the emotion behind them is harsher. Like what's the yeah? What's the I, there? I still feel like like he's never he's not a cruel character or he's not hmm. doing this out of any sort. Like he's still a very like like I think the naivete that you mentioned is there, but I think he has just more lines where he's just like bluntly truthful in ways ah. that some characters are like what <laughs> um, okay like there's this character in the live action you meet very early like in the first episode this is how a lot of a couple of our core characters are introduced but you meet this mm-hmm. pirate named alvira and in the live action um they don't emphasize this feeling of her this line that she has in the manga where she's like everyone needs to tell me i'm the most beautiful pirate you know the best pirate here and in the manga it's very much like oh, who's this hag? (laughs) You know, like he just kind of straight up says this like in a way that's like blunt and not like doesn't follow, you know, the social niceties. Whereas in the live action, they like ease off of that a little bit. Yeah. that I also, when when was the manga written? Did it start in the 90s? It's 80s, I believe. So this was like, I think this was like way back, like late 80s, I think. I'm so curious to see how the writing evolves with like social norms evolving. That's so mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. So, and <sighs> yeah, so I'm having a good time with it. It's really fun to like take on the same story, but in two different ways. So, uh, yeah, I'm just very excited for more one piece in my life. Incredible. Um, and then the other big thing from both of our lives over mm-hmm. this last weekend portland snack fest yeah. baby. it was so good oh my Ugh. gosh is was this your first time going yes i didn't know it was a thing wow yeah we you, entry was free tons of vendors inside and outside and it's like big like bizarre type uh yeah. setup um a lot of them had free samples of their snacks and wares and then you could obviously like buy things mm-hmm. uh any any top snacks from your from your experience yeah, this is so this is the second time um Sam and I have gone. So we like knew going in, we were like, okay, if you see something you like, don't wait to buy it because it often goes actually out of stock by the end of the night, you know. So if you go, you just gotta like commit to just supporting these local vendors and getting the hot sauces and salsas you want. Um 
I bought I bought a lot of hot sauce. Um, <laughs> like I think I bought six different bottles of hot sauce, <laughs> and yes. this one like chili oil, um, pizza crunchy seasoning thing that's like oh, amazing. I had this one. Yeah, uh-huh. so I think that's probably my favorite. But uh, my favorite favorite part of going to snack fest is discovering some new food trucks because they always invite food trucks from around the city and oftentimes they're ones that I haven't had the chance to go to yet or I haven't even heard of and there was one and I'm blanking on the name it's like Deaji Dejani I forget what uh name it is but it's a Korean food truck and they had the best Korean fried chicken and the best just like which is just like rice cake, like sweet rice cake. It was so good. It brought me back to um, the rice cake in particular, brought me back to when I lived in Korea. And it would be like wintertime, and we'd go to a street vendor and get dokboki and like just sweet rice cake. And oh, I'm going to probably try to go back in the next week <laughs> or so to get the rest of their food. Uh, Jenny went before I did, Dal- and you Dal- texted me D A L J O N I. Yeah, Daltoni. Um, Wow, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the second to last of that honey gojujang chicken, fried chicken thing, and they ran out after. So to your point, it was like, man, we got in line just in time. Absolutely incredible. Um, I got this delicious uh, mochi matcha chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, and I know those things. And it's a strange combination of words, and I don't know what most of them are, but they were delicious in the form of a cookie, which is, I think, appropriate for the pastry case. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw that, and we ended up not getting it because we had already, a, like, again, bags of hot sauce and um, cat cat toys, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is kind of a like random but great because we came back home with a gift for you know basically our fur kids um Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah it's just such a good time and what I love about it is the energy at the event is like there's good music there's a lot of different like you saw people who were younger you saw people who were older it was just like a good atmosphere which I feel like in my head downtown on the waterfront festivals try to like emulate some of that community bizarre feeling but doesn't quite hit when it's on the waterfront anymore i don't know there's like a different kind of event vibe on the other side of the portland river yeah i don't know why but i totally agree with that (laughs) i will say with the exception maybe is of light fest portland light festival this last year Mm -hmm. was actually like super fun it was like all woven throughout downtown on the west side of the river it's very cool. So if y'all are ever in town and like it's like January time frame, uh, Light Fest is usually a really good time. Yeah, which I haven't been to. So I need to like make that a thing this year. Oh, we got to go. Yeah. Um, and really quick, just to update folks on the Unity news, because that is something we talked about last week. It's super important um, as folks who enjoy games specifically to pay attention to because it's going to be impacting the industry in really big ways, if, especially if it... Well, regardless, but especially if it continues in the way that Unity usually proposed. Um, For folks who need a reminder or maybe haven't heard the news, Unity, which is a game engine, um, game developers 
purchased licenses to use it to create games. Um, it's one of the bigger ones. Uh, Unreal is another you may be familiar with. Uh, they proposed a series of price changes, which essentially um, kind of threw the whole industry up into upheaval because essentially they want to charge for installs versus uh doing what they currently do with like sort of tiered payments after you hit like a certain number of sales plus the licensing fees. Yeah. I had a nickel. Yes. So Unity has since we last posted come out with a statement saying, uh, well, let me read it. It says, we have heard you. We apologize for the confusion and angst. The runtime fee policy we announced on Tuesday caused We are listening, talking to our team members, community, customers, and partners, and we'll be making changes to the policy. We will share an update in a couple of days. Thank you for your honest and critical feedback. Um, That was on September 17th. Today, as we are recording this, this is what, September 21st? They have not yet shared any updates, really. Um, There was a a leak that some journalists reported in terms of what they heard some of the changes may be, but... So maybe that kind of like slowed down the actual announcement of what the changes would be. But so far, there's no definitive information on like what's going to be happening moving forward. It's just it's that Wizards of the Coast thing all over again. It's Drew Barrymore saying she's going to come back and and scab during the writer's strike and then walking it back like, I hope these people do the right thing and just walk this back and they're like, you know what? We'll figure out something else another time, but this one's yeah. Dead. It's unfortunate because um, I was actually saying this. I'm on a, another podcast, and we were talking a little bit about this, and I was saying how I feel like even if they were to walk everything back, it still wouldn't it wouldn't be enough. Like they need to implement some policy that shows that they're dedicated to not randomly changing terms of service and agreement information um at their own whims like they need to do something that guarantees uh they're not going to do this again um and unless they can guarantee something like that i think even walking it back at this point is not enough which is unfortunate for them and like i feel really bad for the team members who are dealing with this at the like just non uh sort of stakeholder level of unity mm-hmm. <laughs> level yeah. um because they're they're having there have been like death threats to the employees and all of this um just like very inappropriate behavior that no one should ever do even if they don't like something a company is doing don't send death yeah. threats to the employees uh but right now they did confirm like charity bundles are excluded they confirmed you know but they then found out uh Things like Planned Parenthood was then not counted as a charity when some people kind of pressed further because there are now wow. political agencies. Oh. So this, it's like you think you get a little bit of something, but then it goes back another like three steps. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I when with the Wizards of the Coast thing, what they ended up doing is like they walked it back and then they put language into their um, the open license. I can't remember what it's called. Something open license. Uh, for D&D that was like, mm-hmm. okay, the things that people were concerned about, we are like codifying them in these mm-hmm. terms of service or whatever. I think what we're realizing is just how little control individual consumers have when it comes to these terms of service. Mm-hmm. And 
that unless mass action is taken when these types of shenanigans are pulled, there really isn't much you can do when someone's like, well, you're like the thing. Are you going to change the thing? Are you going to keep using the products? Then you got to use our terms of service. And that's not cool. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't realize, but um, in... I think I subconsciously did, but I've never really thought about it. But yeah, at pretty much every major terms of service, like within all that legal jargon, they do technically have the right to change their terms of service at any point in time. And like it's in cases like this where we have to face that fact because, um, yeah, so I, I agree. I think this is definitely opening a lot of eyes um, and it's – Unity really showed their hand um, <laughs> in the worst kind of way. See your true colors. Um, yeah, so I think that's pretty much it for Unity. Again, not too much new info, just knowing that it's continuously updating. We'll probably continue to just mention it because that's uh, really, really significant. Um, yeah, I think... I think, are you ready to go into the cosmic wheel, into the finale of the cosmic wheel? I'm ready wheel? to flip some cards. I'm ready to choose our destiny. I'm ready to shape the world. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And again, for fo- folks who are fresh to the podcast, this is the spoiler cast. We are going to talk about everything and anything. Um We have multiple endings, multiple pathways. So you may be hearing about things that didn't happen during your playthrough, but did for someone else. So mm-hmm. just be ready for that. Um, chapter six is titled Pandemonium. And <laughs> my gosh, uh, chap- well, actually, let's go back a little bit because we didn't talk totally about chapter five. Um, chapter five, I think, wait, no, no, I'm right. Yeah, chapter five. Um, we see a little bit about Fortuna's like ascent into witchhood. Um, mm-hmm. and we get to actually meet her mentor, which was amazing. Yes. Yes. Euania. Mm-hmm. How did you pronounce this as you were reading it? I think it was Euania when I pronounced it. But... Okay, I like yeah. that. It's, it rolls <laughs> off the tongue nicely. Kind of like this magical deer anthropomorphized person deer thing mm-hmm. uh seems like the character design the jewelry the the drapey costuming such a cool character yes um what were your what were your thoughts when you like got introduced to them when you got into their house like what were you thinking oh man i loved it like immediately i was like i love this character i think all of the character designs have been beautiful like everyone in this game is just stunning in their own way and this was no exception mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it was interesting because earlier in my playthrough there I got the sense that there was some like apprehension about Uenia and about the relationship and so I think this also depending on how you lean with your own playthrough this could be like are you ashamed of seeing Uenia because of everything that's transpired are you like do you miss Uenia I think it, there's some room for interpretation there um mm-hmm. i was really excited because i thought uenia was cool and i was just like maybe in my playthrough my first one especially i was like maybe fortuna was just apprehensive because it's been so long and there's like not wanting to disappoint uenia after all this time yeah and w- was it a pretty supportive conversation when you talked with her yes yeah yeah it was for me too i was just pulling up some of the screenshots from the conversation and um 
because because you see the flashback of mm-hmm. what it was like w- meeting this witch as like your first mentor and like what is it to be in this world and you go to their little home uh and then you also get to invite them to come and mm-hmm. have like a reading into your house of isolation that you've been locked inside for right. years um i this there's this line that stood out to me because like a central problem of this game right is you were put into this isolation because of some fear about what you did or could do with your powers you predicted a potential downfall of this of this coven Mm -hmm. and uh we learned we talked about this at the end of last week's episode we learned from the old head of the coven her like ghost specter comes to talk to you and is like hey uh you're not just reading the future you're planning the future when you read these cards right okay so the quote from you and yet you you Um, if Adana had told you the truth, you would have treated your newfound power with care. I have no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like one of those moments where it's like, it's fe- like when I read that line, I was like, this is so exactly like the healing comment that mm. this character needed to hear that like the people that knew her, that loved her knew that if she had been told the truth about her powers, she would have been a responsible caretaker of them. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it's not just your trauma that's making you careful about these powers. It's not just your newfound perspective. You are a person who would have had that care all along mm-hmm. if you had known. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh God, that I, for me, like even like my hard, my hardened heart during my fury playthrough where I'm trying to burn down bridges, I was mm-hmm. like melting a little bit when I read that. Yeah, I thought, it was really nice because um, my first playthrough, I played as a much more gentle Fortuna who was looking for just reconciliation and peace and like lots of kindness. Second playthrough, I played vengeful Fortuna who was just out to basically become a god in her own right um, by the end of it. And in both cases, I really did appreciate how Yuenia was like this really kind and like genuinely cared for Fortuna and her mentorship. Mm. Um, I think what was really interesting about the conversation for me was also when Yuenia asks Fortuna to do a reading and my Fortuna in both cases asked like, wait, but you know the power of these cards, like you're willing to risk this. And Yuenia talks about this concept that we've been approaching and like discussing throughout the whole month of this is sort of my responsibility like i i helped cultivate this i brought you sort of into this i'm willing to take the responsibility of whatever fate you read for me as we go through it and i thought that was Mm. really powerful as well oh so good and it, it kind of like it gave me this glimmer of hope for like mm-hmm. what it would mean to have these powers. It's like, it's so hard to conceptualize this in a way that's like, well, if I could do this, how would I respond? And it's like, it's so like you started just like thinking about just like how much responsibility there really is with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just felt like a little warm blanket of support from her as we were like engaging. Yeah. I'm curious what memory did you choose to create when you talked with her? If you remember for me, while you look at the screenshots, because I thought that was an element where I was like, oh, this is actually showing how really powerful this this is. Like, it's not that Fortuna can write the future. Fortuna can rewrite the past. So that is also a next level, like, understanding of what is 
possible here. And in the, my playthrough, um, Fortuna, the first memory that I did was hanging out in a cabin and building a snowman together. <laughs> Snow witch. That's probably. the one that I did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cute. Um, I thought that one was really, really sweet. And then the second time I played, um, I created a memory of them in, I think it was somewhere like in Barcelona or somewhere uh, just hanging out, dr- getting drunk and staying out like all night, just like partying together essentially. And I, I thought that was really sweet that we got to also see other ways to use this power besides just foretelling and writing what was yes. going to happen later. It was such a great way to seed that idea and make it like, and here's how this actually like would look and feel. Mm-hmm. Did you get the dialogue? I'm curious to know if this was specific to my playthrough or if it's like everyone always gets this, that you learned the spell to summon a behemoth from Uenia? Yes. Okay, yeah. um, so this is like a universal thing. Yes, and I would love to actually throw back to one of the community questions um, Minerva Comfort submitted last week because this really ties in with that, um, the game's perspective on, or let me phrase it as a question, what is the game's perspective on the difference between a novice and an adult witch? I thought that was a great question from Minerva. Again, thank you for that uh, because this is one of those conversations where we do see that played out most explicitly where Euenia says, I'm not your mentor anymore. I'd love to be considered a peer or a friend. And it's this like, almost like a test. Like, did you set me up to summon this behemoth? Like, what does this mm-hmm. mean? And I thought that was a really interesting conversation. Yeah. And I, I think for me, again, it kind of comes back to, I I don't love the idea that the mature witches are the ones who have engaged with behemoths in some way. And like, right. um, it, there's just something about that. That's a little too, I think, I think it's an appropriate reading. I think you absolutely can take that away from it. I should clarify, but I don't love that reading because it just feels like it's taking away some of the autonomy, which I feel like is a mm. cornerstone of the, the mm-hmm. witch community. I prefer to think about her creating her own cards. Like maybe she always had the ability to do this. Yeah. And it was like being able to be self-reliant and have that autonomy. Maybe right. that's the reason. But yeah. I don't know. What did you think? Well, yeah, I also agree. I don't think the behemoth is necessarily the denotation of a mature witch. Um, I think I think there's a level of power that is displayed mm. if you have that capability to summon behemoth because we now know it is not as rare or as like as forbidden as older witches will tell novice witches because um, mm-hmm. clearly like what was it um, I pronounced her name Greth but Greth but is is it Greta that you said it that's was how called? I that's how okay. I heard it in my head <laughs> okay um, Greta summoned a behemoth like Uenia summoned or hasn't summoned a behemoth but knew the spell too and could use it in case the need arise mm-hmm. arose mm-hmm. uh there was another witch we heard multiple stories of other witches falling in love with behemoths abramar said actually in my second playthrough abramar had a really interesting comment in like the prologue section where he mentions um this almost sort of symbiotic relationship where behemoths need witches to serve. And he's like, I like, we need each other in this sense because I'm this all powerful being, Witches gravitate towards behemoth power behemoths. We get sort of a kick out of serving. And there's like a joke in there too, where Fortuna was like, Oh, is this like a 
a fetish thing? And Abram Mar is like, uh, sometimes, I guess, maybe, but I'm not denying it. <laughs> but it's, it's also not just a, a fetish thing. Um, so I think there's more of a relationship there, but I think that has to do more with power um, in its more raw sense than mm-hmm. maturity as a witch. Um, I love that. I do agree with you that there is a stronger sense of witches becoming mature when they found whatever they define to be their own calling. Um, the Peppermancer, I think, is an, another Peppermancer. Um, depending on what you name her, I named her Nova. Um, but she, like, there seems to be th- at least three steps in, in being a witch, in my in my opinion, at least when I played, um, where you have your first, your first ascended, you haven't denoted your own, like, calling. And then when you find your calling, you probably have a period of learning, getting your feet under you, and then at some point you do become maybe more considered more of an adult or mature witch. Um, and I think that comes with, like you said, delving into your practice, creating your mm. own sort of identity through whatever form that takes. And what's cool is we see that through a lot of the other witches. We see like the explorer witch later on in the game. We see it through Jasmine doing that with plants and potions and Dahlia through creating the weapons. So. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. I wish I, I didn't write down the name that I that I got to with the, the Peppermancer, which um, but that that whole story arc was just so mm. beautiful to me that like, f- even in this moment of uh, anger and frustration that my character was experiencing that they were able to like help someone else. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of showed me like directed anger is often a really powerful tool. Um and I think at least the way I was raised, anger was like this no, no emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, it's funny because there's a line that I got early in my playthrough, my second playthrough, where, um, again, because I was playing as Vengeful Fortuna, and I said that I wanted um, essentially anger to be my fuel uh, for power. And mm. Abramar said back to me, that's interesting because you're always going to have to find something to be angry at to maintain your power. If that is the way you choose to navigate this world. And I was like, Oh, that's a real, like, it's like one of those things you kind of know, but to have it said out loud, like if you are an angry person and that's how you fuel, you know, we joke, I'm fueled by spite, you know, but at the same time you can only, (laughs) that can only take you so far. Um, You'll have to just keep finding things to be, spiteful of uh if that's the way you operate and i think that was a really interesting thing that i got from my second playthrough that didn't come through in my first i love that and i you know speaking of like what are you anchoring yourself on we kind of talked about this um a very little bit last time uh in in your first run through i understand you did not get to romance anybody did you get to in your second playthrough no I'm like, what the heck? I was too focused on revenge because, um, uh, was it Greta? Uh, that's the behemoth one. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. Greta flirted with me and definitely like laid down some breadcrumbs, but I never got the opportunity to like actually romance, which I'm so sad about. I don't know if I can show this to you in a way that it looks good. (gasps) This is the two of us cuddling after uh engaging in some adult activities and uh what greta greta i have no idea says is 
I don't know about unraveling the meaning of the of life, but that was fucking close. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> wow. That's, that's that juicy romance I've been hoping for. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is so interesting to me. Like, so when it became clear that Greta was there because of her interactions with uh, a behemoth, I was like, I'm just going to be totally honest and transparent with this person and just mm-hmm. tell them what's up and really like live into it. And I help them like unite and draw power from the behemoth and like gain this degree of control over it or whatever. And because they were on the run from the like magistrates, the Arca, oh. what are they called? Uh, arbiters is that what arbiters yeah. yeah 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 the magical police uh they literally hid out in the basement of my house uh wow. the whole game so like even when i was meeting with the arbiter they were downstairs on the bed sleeping Dang. so or studying so it was just like this really interesting wow. line and like through line through the game they i thought was like a really interesting anchoring experience Well, and I think especially when we go back to like our week one question about sort of solitude and Mm -hmm. what it did to Fortuna to have a playthrough where Fortuna, you know, not only is getting visited by a lot of friends and and doing like things in society again, but has a partner, um, not just a partner in Abramar that is a contract partner, but like an actual sort of romantic relationship. I think that's really cool. Uh, yeah, it was just like it was really engaging and it was it felt like like it had like a gritty realness to it, I guess, is mm-hmm. what I would say. Like you're in this really tough position and yet you're able to find comfort with someone else. And like it. I don't know. I just I played into it and it really like enriched my experience. So mm-hmm. if you got the opportunity to, to do some romance in the game, Dang. do recommend it. Need to do a third playthrough and just try and get that. <laughs> um, yeah, because that did not happen for me. Um, one thing in my second playthrough before I got into the actual campaigning um, in my second playthrough, I invited both Dahlia and um, Jasmine to my house at the same time. Did you happen mm-hmm. to do that when you did your playthrough? Uh, yes, because I I decided to run myself. Yes. And so it was like, I'm talking to Patricia, I think, or Patrice, whatever her name is, the sister. Patrice, and yeah. Patrice. And uh, they're like, okay, well, you got to tell them. And I was like, all right. So I invited them both and I told them and it was like a whole moment for Interesting. the three of us. Yeah, because you have the option to not invite them, um, which or, or you can invite only one. Um, and so the first time I played, I only invited Jasmine because I said, I'm going to be supporting Dahlia. And I wanted to like talk to Jasmine without Dahlia there because I felt like that would be the nicer thing to do. Um, yeah. The second time I brought them both in to tell them I was running. Uh, and what I thought was really cool, and we haven't really touched on this throughout the playthroughs, but one thing that I've really appreciated about this game is this concept of sisterhood. Um I feel like even in some of the things that you can do that are not very nice to your coven sisters, there is this through line of they all do care for each other at their core and they all want what's best for their coven at the core. And there's this sisterhood and camaraderie that I really appreciated um, just throughout the entire game. 
Yeah, you're right. It was like there was something more substantial binding these three together than mm-hmm. just like the individual causes that they happen to care about. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was something really special about that. And I honestly, like something I struggle with is like when people have like very different perspectives on the world than I do, it is hard for me to have a close personal relationship with them. So mm-hmm. for better or for worse, that's kind of just kind of where I am. Yeah. Well, and that ties into, I think, the question that we'll be coming back to later as we wrap up this discussion, but this idea of, you know, how do you build a coalition striving for meaningful change within groups of people or individuals that have very different ways of actually achieving the, you know, going through and achieving the change itself, Um, which we now kind of will get to because when chapter six begins, each of you has your own agenda that you believe is the best for the coven. Mm-hmm. Some, I would say, bit stronger campaigns than others. Capressa, no, I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> oh, um, and the in chapter six changes the game completely mechanically, which is yes. really fascinating. St- startlingly i would say (laughs) yes let me know what are your thoughts on that shift and if maybe describe it for folks who haven't played yeah so uh as we discussed last week the 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 basic way you move to this game is by talking with people that are coming to visit you usually getting to know them a bit reading the cards and now we know helping to shape their future or their past um the game, once you get to this point where you decide who you're going to back politically, shifts. And so this whole next chapter is like kind of done with like a turn-based economy in a certain a way. Mm-hmm. And your goal is to um, look at polling numbers around different demographic groups within the witch community and try and gain as much support leading up to election day as possible. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you're you you have to stay in your home. You're still on house arrest, uh, but you are sending people out to run errands and go talk to different communities and try and, you know, maybe you try to sabotage someone else or maybe you try to, like, keep a clean campaign and do things that are like a, a nice, pure way. Uh, and all of this like leading up to Election Day. So, like, you still get to meet witches. You still get to do some card reading. But it's like usually you get to have one of those conversations in between the econ- the action economy of mm-hmm. sending out your various friends and, and people to, to do these activities with you. Yeah. How did you like it? <laughs> what are your feelings? I, okay, so here's what I would say. The gamer in me was frustrated by the change because mm-hmm. I was really enjoying the mechanics and storytelling from uh the first five chapters and now that i knew that i was the one shaping these destinies it felt like it added a whole new dimension and so i was really excited to explore that as like the primary thing mm-hmm. so in, as a gamer completely switching tax to a different thing was kind of like unsatisfying in that mm-hmm. because i wasn't able to continue that but uh I'm a product manager. That's like my day job. And a big part of my job is looking at market data, understanding what people want, trying to build products that meet their needs and make them happy or satisfied with whatever. (laughs) And that part of my brain kicked on into overdrive 
And it was like, I was at work. Like I was more zoned <laughs> in during this part of the game than any other part of the game. And I think it was just because it was like, it activated that part mm-hmm. of my like, just normal way of doing business thinking. Yeah. So I, I guess that's what I would say is like, as a gamer, I was a little bit frustrated by it. As an individual, I was like, it's just, it's scratching that itch. And like, my brain is like really locked in on this. Yeah. What was it like for you? I think I was, I actually quite liked the shift um, because I could feel, I was like, I could feel it kind of in the air, um, like Mm. in the narrative of the story and something about, I was like, something is going to happen when we start campaigning and I don't know what. And so I think mentally I was kind of ready for something to happen. Um, I didn't think it was going to be that drastic of a mechanical shift uh, where you know, you are, you're telling people, like, I think you had options like, you know, harvest energy if you wanted more energy for cards uh, to create more cards. You got to dig up dirt on your opponents because uh, Patrice is a, uh, depending on what you picked, either like a journalist or a detective or, you know, someone who can sleep up. Yeah, an archivist. Yeah. Uh, you could go and sort of debunk platforms um, of any one of your opponents. You could search for allies and you can also advocate for your own platforms. I think those are sort of the big five. There are a couple more scattered yeah, out yeah, there, yeah. but and that's right. Um, what I found really cool was this, I think because also I live in product um, or produ- production mode. And so looking at the subgroups, the demographics, seeing who would be best, because actually um, there were a couple instances where it was like Patrice didn't get along very well with a certain group. So she wasn't able to be effective. But then I sent Nova, the Peppermancer, and she was much more like in line with yeah. the, you know the needs of that group. And so she was able to be more persuasive. So it's really cool just to like think about how I knew the characters, what I knew of the coven, and feel like I was actually doing a little bit of this like campaigning. Um mm-hmm. I did feel like it went on a little bit longer than I wanted because by the time yeah. it was like 30 cycles or something, it was like a, a long time. <laughs> yeah, I was actually worried when they described it at the beginning that it was going to be too short. And and said for me, it was like just a, it was just a few rounds longer than I felt like it needed to be. Yeah, I agree. I think if they had knocked off like maybe two cycles, that would have been spot on like enough length to make it feel like it's impactful but yeah by the end i was like okay i just need to go to sleep and like get through the day so i can get to the next section um but i did enjoy like seeing the numbers go up and down uh i'm curious Uh because i played this two different ways and i want to know what you did did you when asked read out your own fortune for the election uh no I did not. Mm. Uh, And honestly, I regret it. I because as I was playing through, I was trying to play true to this character that was like, I am going to change this system. Mm -hmm. And my personal belief is that if you have the power to change something, uh, especially like for the good uh, and with the coalition of others, Mm -hmm. that you should exercise that power. Um, and so it, to me, it felt like kind of a betrayal of that, that I didn't do it, Mm -hmm. but it was like, I think maybe because it, you got, I think you get the choice after you talk with Mm Uenia. I was just like, I, 
I want to also believe that I would not even be tempted to misuse those powers and yeah. potentially sway the election. Um, and also, like, I, that's the difference between fascism and working in a, a cohesive coalition is like mm-hmm. if one person is just, in, you know, in, inflicting their beliefs, whether they're just or unjust on others, like that's fascism. It's what mm-hmm. it is like. I yeah. So that, that's kind of where I landed on that. What was you? What did you? Yeah. Do? The first playthrough, I did not you know, do a reading. I felt, you know, personally, I felt very strongly that that would have been totally unethical. Um, I wanted the coven to make the decision. And I also was like, what's the point of having, even having this farce of an election, if I know I'm going to win anyways, Um, just to be, just to change it up the second playthrough I did. uh, And I read in the cards, what, what was interesting to me too, uh, is in the card reading, I got the options to a, dictate jasmine or dahlia i don't think i had capressa but i i know for sure i had the option to read one of the others as the victor interesting so that was super fascinating i chose myself in the second playthrough um yeah again my intent with that playthrough was to become essentially godlike witch fortuna so i was like "I'm, i'm all in um my platform even was the leader gets to eat Adonis corpse. Um, oh. So the idea is like basically whoever is the leader gets to eat the corpse and in be in, in what is it? Um, absorb the power of all the previous leaders who've also in the corpse becoming more and more powerful upon each secession. Uh, so I went like full sort of dark path. Um, and it was interesting. Because yeah, it's like, even though I, in my head, I was like, I'm going to choose the good things for the coven. Um, in my heart, I'm like, this is not right. Like, this is not what's, is this really, this can't be what's best for the coven if this is sort of mandated. Uh, and even during the campaign, Abramar made the comment of, um, he said to me, uh, we're all just sentient puppets now, aren't we? And I was like, oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> that is so brutal, but so true. Because at that point yeah. in the game, I'm like, I'm going through the cycles. I'm like, I know I'm going to win. So I guess I'm just going to just tell people to go places, but I know, I know it's all going to work in my favor. It was a, a very different way to play. Wow. Yeah. I, I am so fascinated to hear about your ending. I, wow. That is such an interesting take. I'm so glad you did this run. Uh, yeah. the second run. <laughs> wow. Um, what, a, before we start talking about some of the like big election day events, mm-hmm. I do think it's worth chatting about some of the like, other witches and characters yes. that you meet in between the campaign cycles. Yeah. Um, one in particular stood out to me was uh, one, the mm-hmm. owl witch that like, I think is speaking a different language and you have to find yes. a way to interpret. Um, and her powers are that they have the ability to sabotage anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you use that maybe on your dark run, mm-hmm. like, did you, what was that like for you? Uh, I did not use it in my first run. Again, I played like super, I'm going to keep everything above ground, not do anything, you know, wrong essentially, or anything I would consider sort of unfair. Uh, Mm. second playthrough, I absolutely (laughs) chose, I was like, easy Jasmine, take her out of the running. Um, and so that was, it was kind of interesting how it, it, it made me feel like this is 
perhaps, I don't know. It felt very weird because I said, you know, Jasmine's the person I select, ruined Jasmine's campaign. And it was weird not to have like a direct insight on what even happened or like have a connection with Jasmine at that point because all I got later, like one or two cycles later was, oh, did you hear like Jasmine did this? I forget exactly what happened, but there was like something that Jasmine did where everyone started turning against her. And I was like, it feels very weird because I know this is because of what I said, but I feel so separated from my actions at this point. And it was weird because whenever I've made a tarot call, you know, writing the future, I've at least felt connected to my actions because it's through my cards and through my magic. And doing that through one was not, it didn't feel good (laughs) at all. Mm. Like it was weird because it wasn't like the worst action I've taken, but it felt worse than some of the things I've done. I'm going to take back what I said earlier about the thing that I regretted because what I remembered is as I was talking more about it, I don't regret not playing the puppeteer with people's fate and like reading my Mm -hmm. own fortune. I do regret not sabotaging Capressa with one. That was the thing that I wanted to do. So like, this is the prisoner's dilemma, right? It's the, it's the classic setup of like, you can, like, if you both say one thing, you win. If you both say the other thing, you kind of win. But if you say something different, you lose like that kind of Mm -hmm. setup. And it was like a very cool way to put that into a gameplay mechanic. I thought it was so clever. And that was the thing that I wish that I had done. Mm -hmm. Um, And can I reference uh, one of the book kind of pour over things that you and I talked a bit about? Um, There's a book series by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, The first book is called... um, the city we became the second most recent book is the world we make. And uh, the premise is it's like Lovecraftian horror and all of the boroughs of New York city have come alive in the form Mm -hmm. of an avatar. Like a citizen has taken on, I am Queens and I am Staten Island or whatever. And one of the things that they grapple with in the second book is that like the Manhattan avatar is willing to play dirty to help them accomplish their goals. Mm. And uh, they kind of all get to the point where they're like, it's New York. If you're not playing a little bit dirty, you're just not going to win. And I, I, I played this game as I was reading that book. And I was thinking like, as I chose not to use one, I was like, that actually is the moment that I, I would have been, morally okay with doing something if it would have Mm. gotten what I would have considered like a true evil off the board. And that's what I kind of came to, especially as a person, like a white cishet man who like comes from a position of privilege. It's like, okay, but if I had the ability to just wipe an evil off the board, like not killing someone, just like making it so that that ideology can't win. It's like, Mm -hmm. Wow, like I feel like a lot of times it is people with that amount of privilege that are put in those positions and just let the harm continue. And mm-hmm. I was like, I am allowing harm to continue by not mm. sabotaging this person's campaign. And oh, that was kind of the thing that I was grappling with as after I told her not to. Yeah. So what I guess what happened when one didn't do anything? Like, did anything happen to you as a result? No. And so maybe this is like, I don't know if there's a scenario where she does. Uh, But I took that to be like, it was the prisoner's dilemma. And I took the moral high ground and everyone else did too. And Mm -hmm. so 
no one got sabotaged. Like everyone was fully in the in the the election when I got there. So yeah. Now I'm curious before we get into sort of the actual voting process. When you were at you know the end of the campaign cycle, where did the what were the percentages stacked? Because every time you know every cycle turning, we get a little update and you get to see sort of what percent of the coven is voting for who. I'm curious, how did the final final vote stack or perception? I think it was like seventy percent me, and the others were dividing the last thirty. Yeah. So I went in with a very strong. I was feeling pretty good going into election day. Yeah. How about you? I think I can't remember the exact percent in the first playthrough. I know I was in the lead, but it was a little bit closer than I would have liked. Mm. Um, in my second playthrough, I was at like eighty five something percent like very ludicrously high um so yeah it was it was pretty interesting um i did have moments throughout the campaign where capressa at one point did start pulling far enough ahead where i was like ooh, should i have done like something explicit Mm -hmm. um but i think for me capressa was so like always 10% or below essentially. And so I was just like, there's no way there's no way. So I, that's why for me, I was like, I'm not going to do it because there's no way for Capressa to win. Yeah. I think there was a moment where Capressa convinces like a lot of the old witches to do something with, uh, Adana's, Adana's body. Mm -hmm. And it like really like it had a big impact on those polls but I actually think, as I'm recalling, it was Dahlia for me that had the, mm. that gave me the biggest run for my money because early on, when I thought I was just going to be voting for her and not running myself, I gave her campaign advice about how to activate the younger mm. generation of witches. And so once she started doing that, it was like I could tell that I was fighting against that wave Ooh. the whole time. Wow. Oh, that's, that's incredible. I, oh my goodness. Yeah. I really, I loved this part a lot. I think again, it it was kind of a weird shift in a lot of ways mechanically, but I think uh, it got me thinking about the world in a way that I hadn't this entire time. And I mentioned this throughout the couple of the podcasts, but the way that this game expands to bring you into its world, like, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, because you get to know yourself, you get to know your your intimate coven sisters, and then really starting to care about what happens to the rest of the coven, whether you care because you want it to like prosper, whether you care because you want to be the one leading it, you know, you start to care about this greater world around you. And I think that's so cool the way this game does that. We got to talk about the end game <laughs> because something yeah. happened. <laughs> Your comments about like you start to really care about the coven really resonate as true for me. I forgot we didn't. I I think I held this closer to my chest and we talked about our early mm-hmm. game decisions. I promised Abramar the coven uh, as a way to form my pact. Uh, and I forgot that I did that. <laughs> so when we got to the end game there were some massive twists and turns before i got to that point and i was like 
oh my God, I totally forgot that I did this. And I was like invested in changing the coven and all this stuff. So yeah, shall we talk yes. big picture? Yeah, what let's let's rewind just look. I love that teaser because now it's like, wait, but what? So once the campaign season is done, um, you basically go with Abramar to this cloister i don't know this coliseum i forget what they call the, it the coliseum cavalcade of covenry right exactly it's the voting chamber essentially yeah. and the proceedings <laughs> run in a really interesting fashion because witches all of the witches in the coven have to be present time stops while they are in this special chamber so that they can take as long as they need to make the decision. And the vote, I think, has to be unanimous, um, where everyone has to agree upon who they want to lead the coven. They are not allowed to leave unless it's unanimous. My God, that sounds like a nightmare. Um, truthfully, Brutal. just thinking about any group decision, no, it, let alone one as heavy as who's going to lead your coven for the next couple hundred years yeah right um, exactly so this is this is a pretty high stakes election at this point what i love is you get a moment with abramar as you are flying through space to this area and it's a really sweet heart to heart between abramar and fortuna um at least it was for me both times so i either picked yeah. the similar enough stuff or you know i got lucky um where you see both of them saying despite what may happen after this heck we may even betray each other but just know that we do also deeply care for one another and like they say i love you and they hug and it's so sweet and i took like five screenshots of that moment oh yes i i also had similar heartwarming conversation before i left mm. he reminded me of the deal that like don't forget, you're giving yeah. up the coven. And I was given the opportunity to like ask if there was a way out. And so I did. Mm -hmm. And then we're flying. In, but he's, he said, no, there was no way out. Yeah. <laughs> so then we're flying and we have this heart to heart moment. And I'm just kind of asking him, like, is there any way out? And he's like, nope, there's no way out. And so it was just like, there was no question wow. that it was going to end badly. But we both, it, like, the conversation was that, like, we don't hold each other accountable for like hurting each other this was mm. the agreement that we made and so we're always going to like love each other and like this was how we built our relationship so it's okay something like that wow oh and i think that's thinking about relationships and sort of the different paths conversation that we have i think that kind of ties into what we saw with the coven sisters with dahlia and jasmine where right mm -hmm. before the campaign starts if you choose to have them yeah. all meet they do have that moment where they say hey you know maybe we'll disagree maybe you know we all don't have the same platforms but we do all care about each other and let's not forget that during this process um I thought that was very sweet. Yeah. And I also was like, fuck Jasmine. I would not be your friend if the game wasn't making me be your friend. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Si Random. Okay. Actually, you just reminded me of a side story that I want to know if you got, and that is with Adana and her love interest. Did you learn about Adana's love? No. You got to tell me. Okay, so this is one element that made me feel I, I do not like Capressa. I think the way you feel about Jasmine, I feel about Capressa. Honestly, I'm just like Capressa's no, would not mm -hmm. yeah. ever. Agreed. Um, yeah. Capressa and Adana 
we're in a relationship romantically. And so Capressa, the reason why she wants to keep Adana's corpse is, yes, to keep her memory alive because she thinks it was one of the most productive times for the coven, but there's also this element of lost love. Uh, And I was just like, my brain exploded. I was not expecting that. Um, It added just a little bit more interest to a character who I thought was really one dimensional. And I was like, what, why are, why are you even doing this? What do you even Mm -hmm. care? Mm -hmm. Um, It added just a little bit more intrigue for me, which I thought was really cool. That's really interesting. I know why I didn't get it. It's because anytime I talked with Capressa or the like mummy witch mm-hmm. or Junisha, Junisha, I was just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck Adana. <laughs> I'm out. Get out of my house. Like I didn't give these people the time of day. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is on my second, because that was how I did with the first playthrough on my second, the, um, Gosh, I feel so bad. I should have written down the names. Um, but the mummy sort of witch, Junesha, um, she very much appreciated my ambition and like was a pivotal part of me getting a massive amount of votes votes from like the elder witches. So it was No, really she was sabotaging weird. me the whole time. Yeah. My first playthrough, she was like, You're done. And tried to like do all this sorts of stuff to sabotage me, which wow. we'll talk about later. Um but the second playthrough, she was like, I admire what you're trying to do and I'm going to back you. And so I was like, oh, gosh, like it was it was really weird. Wow. Yes. So incredible. We're in the chamber. Voting the proceedings chamber. are about to begin. And this is the last chance for candidates to debate and say mm-hmm. what they need to say. And I thought I thought this scene was actually like really well done in general. I thought it was like a, a nice like the pace was quick and snappy. You're moving through. It's like, OK, a lot of the groundwork has been laid. So it, it honors the amount of time that you spent in those 30 rounds building your your mm-hmm, base. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they would throw in wild cards. So it was yes. kind of like, a, I don't know, a SVU episode or like some <laughs> courtroom procedural. It's like I have a surprise witness. Did you get trapped by the narc, the person that comes to you that can like <laughs> change what you like your senses? So like you're like, oh, you're free and you're out of your house. And like yes. it's all like an illusion kind of thing. Yeah. The first playthrough. Yes. And it threw me for a loop. God, uh, could you describe what happens in this scene when you get trapped? Y- yeah. Uh, so in the the playthrough, you meet her. It's like, oh, this is a person who's like a friend of mine. And you should like help them out. And uh, I was pretty transparent with most people about having a behemoth that I was a friend with. I think mm-hmm. that's why Greta and or Greta and I got together. This person, once I told her, like, she's like, oh, I can change your senses. So you think that you're just free and not in your house. And I was like, that sounds great. Let's do it. And while we're doing that, I was like, BT, BT dubs. Uh, I got this behemoth that I'm friends with and she was like instantly like shuts down communication, pieces out. And I was like, oh, that's going to that's going to come back. And I again, that was early in the game. All these chapters later, I was like, I guess nothing's going to happen. And then she shows up during the during the debate and is like, um, unfortunately somebody here has a secret behemoth and it was she just like totally put it out there and narked on me in front of everybody 
Oh my goodness. Okay. Did you get the scene that I'm sure you got the scene where she makes you feel like you're back in the past. Did you get that scene? Was it her doing that? I assumed it was her because there is oh. what happens is for me, because I did not tell her, it was which was weird because I told everyone that I had a behemoth except for her when we had the conversation. For some reason, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know why, but I'm going to just hide this from you. I did tell her the truth about my cards though. And what was really interesting is I, when she was asking for a reading, I said, you know what, actually, I'm going to be upfront with you. I, I can write the future and you need to know that before I go in. Cause I don't want you to like, I, I need Same. you to be informed. Yep. Um, yep. And she actually said no, which was really yep. interesting. Um, on my Same. second playthrough, you can just read her future and she will be none the wiser. And so that made me feel really dirty, honestly, because I'm like, man, I know the alternate world in which she knew and she actually did not consent to this. And so oh. that was like a whole nother level on the second playthrough where I was like, oh, I'm playing Dark Fortuna and it doesn't you feel good. You did a good. truly dark run. I know. Wow. I was like, this doesn't feel good um, knowing what I know for my first playthrough. But later on in the game, uh, as you're getting going through the campaign, people are visiting, you get a note that says, like, wake up, Fortuna, wake up. And you wake up and you're actually not a witch anymore. You're back in the 70s-ish with yep. Patrice, your sister as a human, and Ava, your friend. Um, Ava or Eve? I think it's Ava. And what happens is they take you back to your apartment and they start questioning you about these delusions you're having. And in that, I was telling the truth because I was like, I don't know, maybe I am back in my human form. What's happening? And me telling the truth about the behemoth and my powers was ammo for her to use in the court trial. And she came back and was like, I did this thing and I'm not proud of it. But in that, I got the truth from Fortune about what she's really about. And I was like, oh. I gasped. I was not expecting betrayal of that nature. And it threw me for an absolute loop. So I got the same betrayal, but because mm -hmm. I just told her. Yeah. And uh, so I wonder, the first time you played, she didn't betray you at all? Uh, no, that was the first time I played. The second time I played, she tried to betray me, but I actually did not give her any info. So she had no ammo. And so she was just kind of like, ah, I don't like Fortuna. I think she's trying to change the universe and everyone's kind of like yeah 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 okay whatever um so my second playthrough she had no power over me because i knew that she was going to like trick me but the first playthrough she absolutely like tanked uh my results for a little bit in the debate wow i was shocked i was my jaw dropped i was taken aback i did yep. not expect any of it same 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 it was like the same surprise <laughs> Uh, I, during the vision I did, I was, I did not reveal anything, but it didn't really matter. Cause I had told her everything just mm -hmm. when we were talking. And so, yeah, that was actually like the pivotal moment for me. I think when like the big, the big explosion thing happens in the, yes. in the end game. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So after, you know, a variety of witches will come down, say their piece about you. Um, and depending on how you've treated them they'll advocate for mm -hmm. you or not. Uh, mm -hmm. And then in the middle of this conversation or debate, you know, Jasmine and Dahlia also say their pieces. Capressa, yeah, I guess, you know, she says her piece too. Uh, a massive explosion occurs. 
every other witch sort of in the stands are engulfed in just cosmic flames, like eternal flames. You and the other candidates are protected by this bubble. And you are given the option, essentially, to describe what happened. Because everyone's saying, what's going on? And as Fortuna, you you get a few options that you can pick, uh, depending on what you think happened. Before we go into the, the options, mm-hmm. can I ask what triggered it? Like, what oh, happened yeah. in the dialogue to trigger it for you on your playthroughs? Oh, man. Let me look really fast because I screenshotted okay, so it. For me, while you're looking it up, for me, it was the that was when the betrayal happened. And she's like, this person is friends with the behemoth. And I like stand up and I'm like, I am friends with the behemoth <laughs> and his name is Abramar. And when I say Abramar, that's yes. when the thing happens. Yep, it also was Abramar both times um, oh, after okay. I after I mention Abramar. Interesting. I yes. wonder if there's a playthrough word that you don't mention him. There is the option to there is the option to not talk about him at all. So huh. I'm curious. I, I think I there's probably more. Yeah, there's probably more paths that we did not take. And if anyone did take it, please um, let us know. Email comment. Um, you gotta to let us it. know what happens. <laughs> wow. Okay, so yes, you the, the thing triggers, you're in this protective bubble, you get some dialogue options, and you get to choose, why are we in this bubble? And I fucking hated this. Yeah. It made me so angry. Well, how was you how did you feel about this this part? <sighs> I hated it too, partially because, especially in my first playthrough when I had no idea what was going on, um, I had just said in my playthrough the word Abramar and all hell broke loose. We had just talked on our way there about this idea of you're gonna hate me, I may betray you, but remember mm-hmm. I still love you mm-hmm. despite all the things. Mm-hmm. And so Despite myself, even knowing that the way I had played, even the covenant I made with Abramar didn't involve the coven, um, it involved my immortality, my first thought was, what did Abramar do? That was honestly the gut thing. I was like, what did Abramar do? Um, I then, <laughs> thinking about the powers I had and seeing that I had other options besides blaming Abramar for what happened, I sat for a pretty decent amount of time thinking, <laughs> do I stay loyal to Abramar? And despite whether he did this or not, put the blame on someone else. And that was a tough question to ask of myself. What did you do? What did you do? I reasoned with myself and I talked myself into blaming Junesha. Uh, because I also was thinking before the election or the voting started, Junesha was saying how she was going to make sure that we weren't going to win, that like she would do Mm. everything in her power to stop me. And so I was like, reasonably, I could make an argument for that. I don't want it to be Abramar. I'm going to put this on her. (laughs) I think that, okay. So interesting. I also did not blame Abramar. I blamed Adana as like, this is her final test for Uh, us as like a coven. uh And what bothered me about it is it felt like we were changing reality without knowing what reality was. Mm -hmm. And that really bothered me. Mm -hmm. It was like, 
it felt like like ham fisted in a way that like we are forcing you the player to do this you didn't know this was going to happen you don't know what caused it um sorry now you have to tell us what happened and it's just like it felt like really the whole rest of the game felt so authentic in a way and this Mm. part felt really like not to me like this one moment really bothered me yeah i i don't think it bothered me as much i think it was what I think also I was just so taken aback by the speed in which things were happening because especially after the slowness of the campaign month, yes. essentially, once you get into the debates and people are talking and then there's an explosion, like I was just at that point, I was seriously just running off of adrenaline. I, and yes. for me, I was I didn't even think about that, honestly, which I think you're I think upon further reflection, that's a really good point compared to every other decision you make as Fortuna. But in the moment, I was like, I need to read the future because I need to write out what will happen because I need to fix this. Um, And actually, there's a line even that Fortuna has where she's like, I just need to fix this. Um, And I could very much relate to that because I was just like, I don't know what's going on, but I just know I have this power that could make it better and I just need to use it fast. There was not even a timer. I was just just running off of adrenaline. Yeah, every that whole last sequence in yeah. the election, everything happens so fast. Yeah. And I, I had the exact same feeling where I was just like, what is happening right now on like a meta level? Like it feels like we're really sprinting to the end here. And I don't know why it feels this way when the rest <laughs> of the game felt so like mm-hmm. normal. I don't know what the word is, but like if that the ending there is like really caught me off guard. Yeah. Um. And it was like, I even knew that I was giving the coven to Abramar, but it was like me saying his name was not what I thought that meant. So yeah, interesting. this is, I guess, again, like if you're in the comments and you did blame the explosion on Abramar, please tell us what that leads to in the dialogue. I am yeah. so curious to know. Oh, yeah. I and again, I think if I think more deeply about it, I do think it's it's another one of those shifts in the gameplay. And the pacing that may like I think ham fisted is a good word for it, where it does feel just like a little bit like, okay, we need to maybe wrap this up. We need to like start putting a bow on it. But I think Mm -hmm. as I was playing it, I didn't feel that way. Um, It just felt. It just felt like the urgency was turned up to 10 and I just cared so Uh much about the world and the characters. I didn't care what was happening. I just needed to make it stop. (laughs) And like they do a really good job of as you're, as you're talking with your coven sisters who are like in the bubble, trying to figure out how to fix this problem. And like they intersperse it with dialogue of, of the greater coven um, being like, it burns, it hurts. Someone save us. And I'm like, this is like, really stressful for me (laughs) oh so brutal yeah um it reminds me just a moment of trauma dumping a quick interjection from editing jenny here we do get into discussing a thing done in high schools and religious institutions that created essentially mock car accidents for kids to experience in this case uh if this is something you don't want to listen to because we do describe it uh please skip forward about three minutes i'll put in a chapter or time marker in the description and show notes and you can use that if you're on youtube just click it you can also manually scrub forward about three minutes thank you uh when i was a kid we used to go to this event every year at my church 
where we watched a play where these teens would get on stage. And the play was essentially all these teens are on a bus ride coming back from the school football game. Oh, yeah. One girl has her Bible in the back and these two are bullies and this one's sexually promiscuous and this like just classic stereotypes. Okay. The bus crashes and all the teens die. And then the rest of the play is you going from room to room in the church and seeing what happens to them in the afterlife. So it's like you are in a room that I'm not joking. You are in a room that is hell. The lights are off. There are some red lights around. There are space heaters in the room. So it feels hot. literal live teens are screaming as though they are in extreme agony and then you move to the heaven room and guess what the girl who had her bible on the bus is there and it's air conditioned and the lights are nice so messed up pretty fucked up right what the hell okay deadline what's what's (laughs) weird what's wild to me is i we didn't do this in church. We did this at school. Um, it wasn't heaven and hell either. They stopped there. We didn't get to walk through the afterlife. But oh, my didn't sc- walk through the afterlife? We didn't. We got – darn it. They they <laughs> ruined us of a pivotal experience. Um, what we did as a school was we had the football game car ac- – it was a car accident. Um, and what they did is they enlisted – it's like – they selected students from our classes basically that were all dead and like draped across the the car and like oh with fake God. blood. Um, I'll have to like edit this, maybe put a quick content warning yeah. ahead of this, but it was <laughs> Sorry, so everyone. wild. It was so wild because um, I was just like, even as a kid, I was like, this is so messed up. Like what if someone in this audience had a family member who died in a car accident? Um, they were trying to teach us about drunk driving. So they were like, these kids did drunk driving and died. Um, and I'm like, I mean, it's an ad- admirable message. Like, yeah, we don't want drunk driving, but do we need to teach it in this way? <laughs> no, I'm one really glad that you think. saw that as a problem as a child. I read that as like, this is totally normal. This is how you're supposed to see the world. Let's go get some Taco Bell afterwards. And, you know. <laughs> that's that can't wait until next year Um, the next iteration of this uh, of this play yeah yeah right yeah Uh, so if we have the explosion mm -hmm. you get to decide you choose your fate for what happens or like why it happened i blamed adana and after that gets resolved you go back into like Okay, everyone, it's urgent. We have to get to 100% as quickly as possible while people are screaming at you uh, because they're on cosmic wheel fire. And uh, I won. I know. It's very impressive. (laughs) And uh, as soon as I won, Abramar took over the coven. And so I thought he was going to destroy it. He became the coven leader. And I just wasn't in the coven anymore. I was done. I was a solo witch. So like really like a really like surprise ending, especially because I forgot that I had made this commitment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really interesting experience. What what happened to you during that kind of like end game sequence? Yeah. I think the second time I played, I actually had chosen the coven as my sacrifice. And so I came up with the same ending pretty much. Um, The first time I played though, it was so fascinating because uh, 
I ended up winning, which was honestly incredible because it was a close race uh, by by that point. Um, there were, I think a lot of really interesting moments in the conversation and in the fight that ensues when you're in the bubble in those last moments. In the first version of me playing when I'm sort of merciful, kind Fortuna, um, all my friends were frustrated with me but understanding about the choices that I made. The second time I played and I was like, I want to be God. (laughs) Um, Everyone really, really like hated me for a bit because they were like, you – like you – foretold that you would win this election like we need to do this again I can't believe you did this like I can't believe you it was it felt so like I felt so bad because I was like I really feel like I betrayed my friends um but then I think the end result comes through where in both cases I won and eventually they both felt like we generally made amends because you're able to read out the future and in both futures I was like please let's read a future where we're friends um in the first the first one though there was a little bit more nuance and I like my first ending a little bit better because in the first ending that I had, because you get to read the future of, I think it's the coven, the future of your friendship and the future of the universe. There's like three final readings that you do. The future of the coven, uh, I think they all existed and they were just fine. I can't quite remember it, but the future of my friendship was that we all acknowledged that we had kind of grown out of the friendship as it currently stood, um, that we all love each other dearly, but we gradually would grow apart and just remember each other fondly. And I thought that was such a poignant ending to how I had been playing the game that first time through because we had been disagreeing on our platforms. We had these memories of being like super best friends, but at the end of the day, it's like we had changed enough that you know, it's just our friendship had evolved into something different and something a bit more distant, but we still cared about each other. And I thought that was a really powerful ending that you don't often get to see in games. Uh, and especially with relationships between women, I thought that was really neat. Uh, but because I gave up my immortality, uh, and I, I did ask Abramar, I was like, do I have to, do I really have to? And he was like, yes. And so I, I gave in, I turned back into a human at the end of the game I lived in an apartment. I think it was about modern times, like our time period. I had a uh, I had a cat because in a conversation, oh. I think I mentioned having a cat as a familiar. Okay. And at the end of it, I said I wasn't satisfied with my current life, and I had I did one final reading, and that's what brought me back to the credits and <gasps> basically restarted the game. Oh, yeah. It was oh. wild. It was so wild. Um, if folks are interested in watching it, it's the it is the playthrough I recorded and put on YouTube, so you can see what that ending looks like. Uh, it was so fascinating compared to the Coven uh, ending that you got because you just stay mm-hmm. a witch, and that's just kind of it. I say a witch, and my Steam Deck just ran a battery, so I can't uh, <laughs> look at like some of the specific dialogues. It was. Um, Basically, it's like you get the ending, Abramar is running the coven, and you're living off by yourself. And then it's like some period of time later, and mm-hmm. the two of you are having another conversation. And I thought it was such a beautifully written uh, mm. conversation and moment between the two of them. Um, but it it also essentially kind of comes back to like the wheel and like the mm. the cycle, the like the recycling of this uh, 
experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's so interesting. Wow, that that is a really cool ending, the like getting up your powers and everything. Yeah, I I really the first playthrough, I'm really happy that the first time I played it, I stayed true to kind of how I would have been as Fortuna and like went with the kind version of her um, because I felt very, very satisfied with the ending, very, very satisfied with kind of the storylines, even the ones that didn't turn out exactly how I had hoped. Uh, I think the second playthrough I did, I think everyone else kind of turned out for the better, but I didn't like it because the means I took to get there felt so dirty. And I was like, I don't feel as much satisfaction with this ending, uh, which I found fascinating as well. Huh. Yeah, I hadn't thought about like, and I, I would imagine like just doing a whole playthrough where you know that what you're doing is controlling the fates. Like that's just mm-hmm. that's such a fascinating concept. Wow. This should be a movie. This should be a book. This is incredible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would love to read this book. I would love to see more in this universe, honestly, because yeah. they have so much. Like we didn't even talk about, um, there's, what is it? The Jade... Um, oh, I forget the name, but yeah, it's like yeah, the yeah. other witches that are coming from another region asking for your help. There's like talk of sort of what do you do with refugees who are coming in? Do you offer them assistance? Do you bring them into the coven knowing that it could impact the results of your election depending on how people are accepting of them and seeing them as a ploy for you to get votes or not? There's so much to this game that we have not even scratched the surface on. Um, like the lore there's a whole library of short stories in this game that we haven't begun to talk about yet. Okay. Did you get a library? Cause I think I read like two stories and it's repeated the second one every time that I read through it. Like no, it was the I same got... like no. spooky ghosts on a pirate ship story or something like that. No, I had, I think I had at least four or five different stories. There was like, there were like a couple different authors. Like I got familiar with there's, you know, different authors of different stories and they had writing styles that were different. Um, Maybe I did something wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there's an option. (laughs) There's an option in the house to go um, sit on the bed instead of sleep. You can choose to read. Uh, They say like interactive fiction. And so that's Mm -hmm. what we're talking about where it's like, it's not, important to the gameplay necessarily but it just adds a lot of depth to the world where it's like you get to see the literature that fortuna is super into and like just what is fortuna reading and i thought that was so cool i would love for them to be published like in just a little i don't know like a little zine or journal little zines yeah, yeah. be cool yeah. um but yeah for folks who who are listening like i can i already feel like there are so many side paths, friendships, quests, like things that we haven't even touched on because this game is so expansive. So I think if you have something that really resonated with you, um, let us know. Either put put it in the Discord, send us an email, um, respond to the newsletter. We'd love to hear it. We can read them out in the next episode uh, because we just want to hear what your experiences were like playing. Uh, and to yeah. sum it up, I'd love to know just any final thoughts you had about the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood. Uh, this to me is one of the best narrative focused games I have just I've ever played. The amount mm-hmm. of forethought that must have gone into all the like little logic trees that get you from point A to point Z. Uh it must have just required so much time and intentionality and care and I was just really blown away by that. There were definitely some Piccadillias I had with the experience. It was like, I really did not like a couple of moments, 
But in terms of just like having a story that was engaging, that checked some of my favorite boxes and storytelling, it just, it did it all. Mm-hmm. How about you? I completely agree. I think uh, up until this point, A Space for the Unbound maybe has been my favorite narrative experience this year. It really mm-hmm. emotionally resonated in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. I think this for me is up there with it in a very different way where it yeah. really got me thinking about systems in our world in ways that I haven't had other games do in a way that wasn't overtly like let's think about XYZ. I think it felt much more ingrained in the world of the game rather than like trying to be educational. Uh, I thought it was really, really powerful. I think this game would be an excellent game to teach in a civics class, like maybe in high school or college. Like it's not like as a way to start the semester, like play through this game because Mm -hmm. we want you to understand the consequences of responsibility. And like when you have power and influence, like, how does that how do, how do you engage with that mm-hmm. and then go into like what civics is are and how it manifests in our world like I think it would be a really powerful teaching tool in that way. Yeah. I mean, for folks in the U.S., um, we recently had uh, official National Voter Registration Day. I think it would be remiss of us not to, hey, make the call out and hey. say if you haven't registered to vote, please do. Um in despite what you may feel about the system itself, because there are a lot of flaws in the system, just like there are a lot of flaws in the witches coven's system. Um, it's important, you know, if we have this avenue to participate and to have any sort of impact, again, going to that fault and responsibility mm-hmm. duality that we've been discussing Um there is an element of responsibility that we have to participate in the ways that we can uh, to make sure things go as well as they can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Register. Uh, We're in Oregon, so we get auto-registered, which is like, why doesn't everybody do this? It makes life way easier. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Go figure. Yeah. I guess any last thoughts, again, because we have been talking a lot about this idea of fault and responsibility specifically, not simply Mm -hmm. through the game, but any additional thoughts there that you wanted to, to add in or feeling, feeling good? No, I feel pretty good. I think uh, this has been a really fun game to explore some really uh, some really intense themes. Like this one mm-hmm. didn't make me sob and cry the yeah. way some of the other games we played have, but it made me think harder than probably any game that we've played so far. So yeah. I don't know. And how about you? Any any final reflections? Um, on, on fault and responsibility, I think... More so, I, I just I just keep thinking about the ways in which we can take responsibility. Uh, I, I mentioned this in one of the newsletters, but there's this active verb of like taking responsibility that I found really interesting that I've been kind of grappling with. Um, you don't often hear as much when people say, I'm going to give you the responsibility to do this. I'm going to bestow. You don't often hear that in our zeitgeist. It's always about taking it, which mm. I haven't figured out exactly what it means completely, but I do think it means there is this active moment where you have to make the decision to partake and to be a part of this process, whether it's a political campaign or whether it's taking responsibility in other areas of your community or social group that you belong in. And so I think there's this element of just being an active participant in the spaces you're in that I'm taking away from this game. 
about taking responsibility. I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. What a game. Hope you all enjoyed it. I, I want to hear agree. about your experiences. So please do get in. Let us know how, how, how it was for you. Yes. Uh, again, if you all haven't signed up for the newsletter, uh, go to the website geeksandgrounds.com. That is where you can sign up for the newsletter. You can email us from there to let us know your comments. If you're watching on YouTube, drop your comments below. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, you can also engage with us there. And um, we're excited because next episode is a game announcement. So we're going to be starting a fresh game next uh, week. And it's going to be very, very intense, but I think mm-hmm. very, very good and very, a very good fit for spooky season. Spooky. Yeah. All right. Uh, t- take us take us away, Joel. Uh If you find yourself bargaining for your soul with the devil, don't forget the terms under which you sign the contract. (laughs) That's from all of us at Geeks and Grounds. (laughs) See y'all next time. (laughs) Bye!